0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law.
1: Hello, friends, thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week we'll discuss Austin's two win week. We'll also preview the U.S. Open Cup game this Wednesday and then a league match on the weekend. We'll also cover Austin FC's salary updates. Uh, Owen Wolfe's performance at the U20 World Cup and a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottam, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley and Landon. You can see over my shoulder this beautiful Moon Tower soccer scarf sitting on top of like a piece of art my one of my kids did like at the beginning of the pandemic that I put up thinking that would personalize my environment. And I've just been too lazy to change it. <laughs> um, but we've also seen these scarves out there on Twitter uh, and in the wild, which is kind of cool to see.
1: That's right. It's been so much fun. Some people have been posting them on social media and then we saw some people actually wearing them and um, yeah, it's been very cool to see they look good out in the wild. I'm uh, happy that we've gotten positive reviews too. People seem to like them.
0: Yeah, it still blows me away that people want stuff with our show name and (laughs) information on it and and (laughs) want to talk about it. So it's really cool. And you know, between Hello Friends and Thanks for Nothing See You Never, you're starting to develop like a uh, a library of catchphrases, too, I think.
1: Yeah, there's like a moon tower soccer lore now.
0: I kind of love it. I (laughs) I ran into somebody. I was in an event last week. And I guess I said, hi, I'm Jeremiah Bentley to this guy. He's like, of course you are. I know who you are. It's just like some (laughs) random guy, some random guy out in the wild who happens to be a listener. So uh, if you're listening again, it's nice to meet you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we have a lot to cover. We're going to recap two games. We're going to preview two games, and then we've got some pretty Pretty prominent news to cover. So let's jump in and get going. Let's start with Owen Wolf at the uh, U-20 World Cup. So he got a start in their first game against Ecuador. They ended up winning one nil. He played all 90, got the assist in, I think it was like 90 plus two, 90 plus three minutes out of four minutes of, of stoppage time at the end. And so um, I did not, I was playing my own game and I did not get to watch this, but got to see some clips and highlights and then listen to uh, like the Scuffed podcast and talk to some other folks. And by all accounts, Owen did fine, but he was being played out of position as well. He played more as like a winger. Um, With, just, I know you I know you
0: love that, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> last year, all year, you were talking about how Owen Wolf, dominant and natural on the wing.
1: Yeah, so uh, Adam Bells from Scuffed said that like, Owen Wolf, he, and Owen is one of the younger guys on this team. And so for him to start out of position and hold his own and like not look out of place, uh, I think is pretty high praise for him. They do have some other attackers coming in who are held back for this first game and are going to be coming in now. And so there's a chance he doesn't start, or maybe does get to move into the midfield if he gets to start there, or maybe gets a sub appearance in the midfield, but he is proving himself a valuable part of this team which is really cool to see. And so they're going to be playing, uh, Fiji on Tuesday Wednesday.
0: or yes, Tuesday, that's Tuesday
1: right. at one o'clock and then Slovakia Friday at one o'clock. So Ecuador is considered of the other, the other three teams in the group, Ecuador, I think is by far the considered the best team in this group. Uh, and so winning that one is is a big
0: deal for this team. So is this just like every other group? So it'll be two or tournaments where two to the two top teams of the, the group get out and make it into the knockout round. Is that the yeah, I think the
1: structure is just like the the, the adult world cup. Um the, the, the or the the big current iteration cup. of it, I guess. <laughs> well, that's
0: true too. So yeah, I was really excited to see him get uh, get on the score sheet. Uh, not a lot of folks had him predicted as being a starter. Maybe it's the reasons that you said, because there were people coming in who will take a spot, but um, it was good to him to get that chance. Showcase that himself. And we're like, I think he's sort of making progress toward being like Austin's first big like international sale.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we also now have the MLS Players Association salary dump, which means we know how much all the Austin FC players make now.
0: Yeah, and I guess like, we, we can get the reactionary takes out of the way first, right? Like Brad Stuver doesn't make enough, John Gallagher doesn't. Although Brad got a pretty big raise, right? Yeah, I think he did he did pretty he doubled, well. More than doubled. Yep. It's like John. Maybe tripled even. Yeah, so that's right. Brad Stuver will be happy to buy you beers wherever you happen to run <laughs> into him now. Uh, John Gallagher didn't get enough. Uh, what? Uh, Sardes and Ruti make too much. But like what? So, okay, let's just set that aside. Like what are your impressions or what things out of this surprise you the most?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm super surprised by many of them. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Drew, see making $6 million? I know that was the report that uh, fabricio romano put out whenever he was talking about the the renewal i know a lot of people within mls were like i don't think it's going to be six million it turns out it was six million that puts him is it fifth highest in the league now
0: i believe that's right oh and speaking of fifth austin was also fifth highest in the league in total payroll which i was a little bit surprised by too overall adding up all the salaries
1: Yeah. And so like this came out before this week's two wins. And so I think people are a lot more negative about these numbers. Uh, and I think there, there are reasons to, to be upset about some of them. I think a positive we can take away from this is that Austin is, is being. Ambitious, right? Like we kind of expected them to be, and we figured they would kind of sneak into that top third at some point. But so to be that high on that list, even though maybe they're not making uh, the best decisions with the way they're spending some of this money or not hitting on all the signings. Uh, the fact that they're willing to spend it, I think, is encouraging.
0: Yeah, and one guy that I think really exemplifies that was this uh, Radovanovic making, what, 600000 in base and six ninety two in guaranteed compensation. Um, like, Austin's got a lot of money invested in defenders, including a guy like Johan Romagna that's not even around. So it's nice to see that even with a total amount of money, amount of money Austin had spent on center backs that they were still willing to, to spend big, relatively big on a guy like Radovanovic and bring him in because it was a position of need.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what it costs to get somebody who's going to come in and start. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, talking about the guys who got contract extensions, Dio Fugundes was at like 400, 450, making over a million. Now Julio Cascante, uh, I think his was pretty low to, between three and 400,000, maybe he's on, uh, close to 700,000 now. Um Brad Stuver was on 150 I think on 430 now and then John Gallagher I think this is the most surprising one to me is he signed this I think two or three year contract extension uh I think he was on just over 100 last season just making 300,000 now um I, and that was we kind of predicted that like it wouldn't be a super high number a guy of his age who's moved around a lot that he would maybe take a little bit lower number for a longer guaranteed contract. And it looks like that's exactly what happens. So all things considered, relatively speaking, he's still making pretty good money and has that guaranteed for the next two or three years. And so uh, I, I understand why you make that compromise, but it does still seem maybe a touch low.
0: Yeah, it does. And the other, the other things that are low and they're at the, at the bottom of this list and are just a testament to how if you, Pull these roster positions off right, they could be so valuable. It's Owen Wolf, Danny Pereira, uh both on hundred thousand in base and like less than 120 guaranteed, which we know because of being a homegrown and being a generation Adidas player, um, is what you get on that contract. But it just shows how valuable those extra designations can be in terms of output. Because obviously Austin has got a lot out of those two guys so far this year and even going back to last year on for basically no money.
1: Yeah, I also saw a lot of hand-wringing online about Jossie Sardes' number. This is kind of what we thought it was going to be, though, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not a surprise at all on what his number was. Um, we knew he was going to take a little bit of a pay cut. I think this is right. A little bit of a pay cut from last year. Still, guys, went 11 years in the league, consistently produces double-figure double, di- double figure goals. There's no way that they were going to be able to get a player with that pedigree for much less than this.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not that upset about the number. I think the number, like, as we've been saying, like he's looking like he's aging. I think the number that I am maybe a little bit concerned about is the length of his contract and not so much the
0: amount of his contract. Yeah, and this will get back to this is a point I'm gonna I had written into the notes for I think the second game, but I did see people talk about uh how much he's making per goal. And like, the guy scored two goals this week. Like he's had a good week. Could we just be happy yeah. for Jassy right now? And not not <laughs> Not, not not keep being as negative as possible. Yeah. Uh, all right.
1: Jeremiah, read this next piece of news you have in the list because I don't actually know what it means.
0: I was going to ask about this next piece of news and see if you even understood it. So I think we get <laughs> it here. So Sebastian Drusi was named the EA Sports FIFA 23 MLS team of the season. My son had to explain to me, Jackson, that this was a big deal. So I think there are, I think it's only eight total uh, Major League Soccer players that make it onto that list. And so he was, yeah. He was one of eight players selected for the team of the season. So it just shows the recognition that he continues to get uh, across the league.
1: Um, We've also been hearing some whispers over the last few weeks about Danny Pereira potentially getting a call up to the Venezuelan national team. They have some friendlies coming up in the United States. Uh, Do you want to go over some of the things we've been kind of hearing with potential of that?
0: Yeah, and this is very much a from a guy who knows a guy, but the second guy is somebody who's very, is definitely in the know. So, as you mentioned, uh, Venezuela is going to play in the United States during the June international break. So, June 15th and 18th. Uh, and it seems like there's a pretty good potential that Danny will get a call up. Um, so, there's a possibility he'll get to play for his national team because, I mean, this is a, such a big news because his legal status continues to still be pretty questionable because of him being an asylum speaker, asylum seeker. And we believe that he still can't travel outside of the United States at all. Um, with very limited exceptions, we've, we've seen him, we saw him not be able to go to Canada, I think last year. Right. And he has been able to, has been able to play in Canada this year, but, um, there's a lot of a lot of questions about this, and the dysfunction of the Venezuelan government and political situation does not help at all with this. Yeah.
1: So the, the fact that they're going to be playing here in the States, it would allow him to go and do that. Um, again, like good for him, just like a guy that like we're emotionally invested in now. It it would be really cool for him to go and see. But from like an Austin FC business perspective, Owen Wolf is off raising his transfer eventual transfer value. Uh, at the U-20 World Cup, Danny Pereira playing for Venezuela would do the exact same thing if he can go and get some minutes for Venezuela and, and put on a little bit of a show there. Does the exact exact same thing.
0: Yeah, it does. Well, except for with his current visa status, it may be like impossible for him in the yeah, short if term he can't to, leave the to country. play anywhere else.
1: Yeah, so it, maybe a bit of, of selfishly good news for Austin FC fans that he may not be able to go anywhere else for a while. But uh, yeah, cool news anyway.
0: Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool to have a guy with the potential to be a full national um, and it would be exciting to see him get in, get in even in those friendlies, no matter what it might mean long-term for Austin.
1: Uh, last little bit of news we'll cover is Austin FC two got another loss uh, at home to San Jose earthquakes two. this. was I was at this game. It was San Jose made it real ugly and they snuck in a goal in the 33rd minute. It was a shot that was not super hard. Damien lost like had it stopped and just let it go under his arms. Um, very uncharacteristic mistake by him. Cause he's been so clutch this year. And so you could tell he felt really bad after the game, but uh, outside of that, I mean, San Jose did a great job defending Austin and really limited their chances, uh, going forward and then would just try to break on them and do something afterwards. So there, San Jose really didn't get very many chances in this game. Um, but neither did Austin.
0: Yeah, watching this one on TV from from home, it looked like there was a pretty good crowd again at armor Field. Uh, looked like yeah, a I, bunch I of think... kids got into it with some of the San Jose kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. share a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, there was like a a huge gang of like I don't know nine or ten year olds, and there was at one point a little boy with a luchador mask on flipping the double birds to one of the San Jose players. And it was one of the most glorious things I've ever seen, but they were all like leading their own little morgue section, doing chants and stuff. And it was really cool. Like it was just like a moment where I'm looking at like when these kids are like 25 and have grown up, like in this culture, watching this team and like, they're going to, they start having kids and raising them. Like that's a really cool thing to think of. Like having Austin FC have that much history and these kids that have grown up in the culture of it it was cool to see um yeah san jose there's a kid on that was starting for them that plays on the u17 national team with Micah. and fans he was the right back on their side so he was the fans were kind of yelling at him he starts chirping back at the team or at the guys in the stands and so it was it was a show all around even if the soccer on the field wasn't too great
0: <laughs> so you could continue to say it's a pretty Seems like a pretty good value in terms of entertainment. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely for the cost, the price, the atmosphere. <laughs> so yeah, whether they're winning or losing, it's probably good to go check that out when you get the chance.
1: Okay, Jeremiah, we have so many games to talk about. I am my brain is starting to to become too full, and I'm almost <laughs> certainly gonna make mistakes on this, but we have we're going to recap the Sounders game and the Toronto game. Then after that, we're going to be joined by Eric Krakauer, who's going to be the play-by-play for the game against Houston on Saturday. He's going to help me preview the Open Cup game midweek and then the Houston game on the weekend. So uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with all of that. Mutar no Soccer is brought
0: to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm
1: and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community,
0: making them experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. Amplify is the fir- first financial institution in Texas to put an end to bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials pay an average of $336 a year in bank fees, which will see game tickets per person per year. You'll pay none of those bank fees with Amplify Credit Union.
1: Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident. Learn to trust your bank again at Amplify Credit Union. To learn more, go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower. All right, we are back. We're going to start off with the midweek game in Seattle against the Sounders. Austin FC picked up an maybe unexpected 2-1 win on the road against the best team in the West. Uh, Jeremiah, w- were you surprised by this one? How are you feeling going into this game?
0: I was floored by this one. It, it, there was so much negativity around the team, around everything, and knowing that Roddy was going to be out and with these other injuries going on. And with how Seattle was doing, you know, I don't think anybody had much expectation. I remember like asking myself, it was even worse staying up, you know, for nine 30 kick on a Wednesday night to check it out. Uh, and the first half, you know, the first part of the game was uneventful, but at the same point in time, I'm like, well, at least Austin's not getting run off the field. Like it, I think almost from the beginning, it seemed like maybe this was going to be a night where things got a little weird and maybe Austin would manage to pull it out. Cause I don't think that, and then the Expos ended up really in favor of Seattle, like long term. But you know, at some point, I went from thinking like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna get blown out," to, "Oh, this is gonna be competitive, and maybe something good. Maybe we'll have a couple of wonder goals, and something good will happen." And it it didn't take too long. They, they did not look out of place. Yeah, most
1: of that XG, and you know, a lot of their shots did come in the second half, after especially after uh, the second goal went in. I think they switched into kind of like desperate attacking mode, which a team that good, like, we're already getting some opportunities if they throw everything they have at you and you're just trying to hold on midweek on the road like they're going to get some chances but overall austin did a a really good job early on um i think defensively and just like creating a few chances here and there in the first half and then once they did go ahead with that second one did a decent enough job bending and not breaking against a really high-powered seattle team yeah so just to
0: kind of talk a little more about stats-wise, so Seattle gets 60% of possession, 13 shots to 6 in favor of Seattle. Both clubs had 4 shots on target. X goals, like we said, was 2.3 to 0.6 in favor of Seattle with the vast majority of coming of that coming sort of 70 minutes and on, and Seattle just threw everything forward. Uh, you, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about the Austin defensive shape. I think I can. I, now I'm confused about which game we were talking about. So <laughs> yeah. if it's if it's appropriate here, do it. If not, we can wait till we get to to the next one.
1: No, this is it. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the change in the attacking shape, and um, we haven't really gone into details about how Austin is defending now. And so they've switched to that five at the back, and we've always kind of we're still in like in the attacking end. We're kind of in the same shape that we were when we were defending in a 4-4-2 before but now the defensive shape really is three center backs two wing backs going all the way back and then uh two central midfielders and then kind of three forwards leading the press and so throughout i mean even last season and this season off austin have generally defensively been pretty soft through the middle they've been pretty easy to play through most of the time and then that four four two defensive look it was the front two so like last season it would have been drew and and uruti doing a lot of that defensive running and so whenever it, they were on and organized it went well but i felt like really often it wasn't organized and so like pressing has to be this coordinated action with a whole team and if everyone isn't on the same page then you you get pulled apart pretty easily and that happened quite a bit and so defending in this back five look, it is kind of more of a mid block, meaning like they're not always pressing so high. They're using those three forwards to put pressure on center backs, like not allowing them to have, um, really easy passes longer in between lines or anything like that. And then, having like those five at the back, it allows the center backs to sometimes follow forwards into the, into the midfield. So you would see Alex ring and Leo Vison and, and, um, did
0: Radovanovich started this one, right? Radovanovich. Yes. Radovanovich was the other center back on this one.
1: Yeah. So you would see them following Jordan Morris and Nico Lodero and, and some of these guys into the midfield and like, they know they can do that because there's more guys behind them. And so instead of it being like the press when they would press high, sometimes last year, they'd, they'd see a trigger. The front two would go, that's a sign for the next line to then step up and the next line to step up behind them. But it just didn't work all the time in this, like kind of mid block five, two, three defensive look, it's less about pushing everyone up and like squeezing them towards their own goal and more about directing them to where you want them to play and either up against the sideline. And then you squeeze them against the sideline, or if they play into the middle, you then have Danny Pereira and in this game, Joan Valencia uh, able to be focused on a specific area of the field instead of having to cover kind of everywhere. It's like, okay, if it comes inside, like in an inside channel, then the front line is going to back press on those guys. We're going to press up and kind of just like squeeze them in the middle and hopefully the ball pops out in those situations.
0: Yeah. And so I'll move on to the forwards here now. So, it's an interesting setup. You've got two guys who get maligned basically every week, um, and one guy who hasn't been on the field a lot lately. And Ethan Finley uh, lined up with Ragoni and Zardes, and they were all pretty strong um, on the night. So Finley ends up getting uh, what the first goal. Did he pick up a goal and an assist? Um, so he, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a goal and assist. Ragoni had a goal. I had an assist on the first goal. And then Zardes finally uh, gets in the score sheet and picks up the second goal. So it's good to see players sort of break out a little bit. And that's what Austin's going to need to see for this season to, to turn around, to continue turning around.
1: Yeah. And like Ethan Finley is one of the guys who, as we're playing these, like the guys who would have been wingers in last year's setup, playing them more in, internally. Ethan Finley is a guy who I was concerned about doing well in that role, and he looked really good in this game. So, like having him again, like whenever we get everyone f- fit, we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But yeah, I was really pleased with his performance. So, um, going a bit back to the the press, the first goal comes from Alex Ring beat, having the freedom to kind of press into midfield. So Radovanovic hits a long diagonal, and Seattle wins the header, heads it back upfield. Ring reacts really quickly and kind of pushes his way upfield, wins a challenge and, and, uh, plays, no, kicks it forward to Finley. Finley wins a challenge, plays it wide to Gallagher. Uh, his cross doesn't find anybody, but it falls to Rigoni on the backside. He slips Lundquist in behind and at the edge of the box. Um, Jossi Zardes is making a run near post and kind of draws some attention from the defenders. And as that's happening, Ethan Finley sneaks onto the penalty spot and receives that cutback from Lundquist and it looks like the shot looks a little bit awkward. It's kind of stuck under his feet a little bit. And so it like looks maybe like kind of a scuffed shot, but once you watch it on the replay, like he, he did exactly what he was trying to do and just a really well hit shot right into the far post.
0: Well, it looked like he the, the the main thing he was trying to achieve out of that was to get the shot off quickly. I mean, that's what I got. Cause like, it doesn't, it doesn't spin long at his foot and he doesn't really set up. Right. He just like the ball comes in, he turns, he puts a foot on it and, and it goes into the goal. And I think, that seemed to be his priority was like getting it off at the space that was available. Um, maybe not lining it up for like the most powerful shot that he could have made.
1: Yeah. But it, yeah, it was, it was hard enough and placed really well. So really good goal by, by him. Uh, the second goal comes in. Oh, I don't have the minute written down here. Do you know that? I've the second goal head. is fi- 57, 57th minute. So, um, this one is like a little, I don't know, not like a super well-worked or sophisticated goal, but, they don't ask how, they ask how many. And uh, this one starts with a wide ball to John Gallagher, Ethan Finley. Run, like, as we've seen these guys doing a run in behind in that inside channel, Gallagher slips in behind. Uh, Finley takes it to the inline and just chips one into the box and finds Zardes' head for the goal. And so it looks. I don't know. Like I said, it's not super well worked. There's not a lot you can point to, but if you watch Zardes's movement in the box here, it is good. Like, I'm not going to say it's like brilliant or like a genius thing, but it's, it's a little example of like the little things that Jossie Zardes does well all the time. And as he sees Finley's going to set up for a cross and he just kind of like floats back onto Yamar's back shoulder. And so it's like, okay, when I make my move, I know this guy can't see me. And that, as Finley sets up for the cross, Zardes starts moving past Yamar and it works like Yamar doesn't, doesn't see him sneaking past him when the ball falls in between, I think it's Lodero and, and Yamar there in the box, Zardes just kind of jumps in between them. And because Yamar couldn't see him at first, he doesn't have time to react, react to it. So it's just one of those little things that like, that strikers are supposed to be doing and that like maxi Ruti doesn't always do those things and it's the things that jossie zardes does well and so i just wanted to point out these things like as much pressure or like uh criticism as zardes has faced lately like in both of these goals he does just like simple little things that strikers are
0: supposed to be doing and they end up working out well in these two these two situations yeah and this one was really this is the kind of thing that he talked he talked to us about when we did the interview before the season like the film that he studies and sort of the tendencies that he observes. And this is a real good example of how all that work and all that, that effort and time, both on the field and and off the field um, pay off for for, pay off for Jossie and pay off for Austin. Um, then after this goal, things get a little hairy, I think for Austin.
1: Uh, yeah. Because Seattle
0: you, goes on the attack. If and you then, look uh,
1: at the little like man. momentum chart on whatever stat website you like to use, uh, it shifts to, all Seattle after the after the second goal. And so I think Austin got a little bit fortunate with some of Seattle's chances. There's Tevez gets one on one with Stuver and it uh Stuver uh like puts his leg down for the save and it barely skims the underside of Stuver's leg. And I don't know if you caught this on the replay, but the ball has backspin on it from hitting Stuver's leg and rolls towards the goal and then stops and like rolls the other direction. Because of how much spin it had that. on it. <laughs> and so, like, it barely was stopped by Stuver's leg, like just got enough friction on it to make it not roll into the goal behind him. Um, there's one with Morris, gets 1v1 with Stuver at close quarters, and he's able to stop it. Right at the end, Eber gets a header from a quarter that Stuver comes out to punch and misses it. And so there's several chances that could have broken bad for Austin, but for the most part, Austin did a good job of like, like I said, bending, but not breaking. They did finally pull him back uh, in the 79th minute. Rolled on plays Jordan Morrison behind. Austin's unable to win a couple of challenges and Ebert finds Montero streaking down the middle and he buries one, um, but I think they're after that goal, there's maybe one or two chances where Seattle could have pulled one back, but Austin was able to kind of buckle down and keep him from getting the second.
0: Yeah, I think you, you covered those. That Morris shot and that Abra's shot were both after that. And those were the two big ones. I was a little bit surprised to see that Seattle only had four shots with what I mean four shots on goal. Sorry. because um, it seemed like Stuver was really busy uh all night. And I guess maybe some of those some of those didn't result, some of those didn't end up being shots on goal, but I would have I would have thought he made more saves, honestly, than than what it ended up on the stat sheet.
1: Um any other notes on Seattle before we move on to Toronto.
0: Well, we don't always get, go through the recognition part of this very well. So we should say Ethan Finley and Josh Wolf both end up on MLS. It's not team of the week. What is it? Team of the match day. Since yeah, there you go. There's there's a there's a team of the match day for both Wednesday and Saturday, and Austin had people um, on both of them. So it's good good to get that recognition um, for Ethan Finley and for Coach Wolf.
1: Um. All right. Should we move on to Toronto? Let's move on to Toronto. All right. So this one was two in a row. I think that's officially a streak. No.
0: I'd, I believe it is. You <laughs> Did you see the Major League, did you, the movie Major League? Did you see the memes from,
1: oh, from that? Yes. People were
0: posting online. <laughs> said, We won yesterday. We win today. That's two in a row. And I think, it's, I think the line is if we win tomorrow, that's called a win streak. So I think you might have to win three in a row for it to be a streak. But who, who knows? Who's going to be the final arbiter of that?
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, Austin ends up winning this one. One nil um, was the final scoreline. It felt like it should have been. Uh, a bigger a bigger win than that, right? Like, do, do you have this? Yeah, we have to read read off the stats here.
0: Yeah, let's do that because you're right. It was not super even in the stats. 62% possession to Austin. Austin outshoots Toronto 16 to three. Shots on target were 2-0 Austin, so a lot of inaccurate shots. And then the X goal was 1.2 uh, to 0.2 in Austin's favor. So statistically, fairly dominant performance. Um it wasn't the most exciting game all throughout, even though Austin looked like the better team almost the whole night, uh, but definitely the victory was the right result from what, everybody, what we all saw on the field, I think.
1: Yeah, it would have felt like a great injustice if Austin didn't score at the end and win this one. And I, I went back and watched all of the shots from this game to try to figure out like, okay, why did we shoot so many times and not and only get two on target? And so looking through those, I noticed that there were several shots that were from distance, A couple of them I thought were the right call. Like sometimes if you're that like into that like zone 14 in midfield and there's nobody putting pressure on you and you don't have an option, take a crack. Yeah, that's not a bad, bad spot to shoot from. But there were two or three where there were options ahead of time ahead. And I think it was Redes one time had Gallagher out wide and he could have gotten in behind and, and had a pretty dangerous ball into the box. And then another one maybe danny Pereira. i think he had two long shots one of them i was fine with and the other one i think he had some options where you could have played someone in uh so i think that's part of it i think another reason is austin had 11 corners and so uh, corners are going to lead to some low percentage quote unquote shots right and so that that kind of pads that number a little bit the best chances in this game are maxi uruti hits one off the post i think in like the 13th 14th minute. And that was a really well taken shot from maxi. And he's really unlucky if it's two or three inches to the right that bounces into the goal. Um, and so unfortunate that one didn't go in He had Another one in the box that ends up getting blocked later on Lundquist misses one from just outside the box where he kind of hits it with the outside of his left, left boot. And it, I think it misses by maybe a foot, uh, high and wide, right. And then Rigoni gets a free kick from kind of a diagonal angle that um, r- hits off of the side netting just outside the post. So some other options, some other like really good opportunities that did not count as shots on target, but we're still dangerous.
0: Yeah, yeah, the woodwork was definitely uh, a key key player in this one. Um, Nick Lee made the woodwork too, but it turned out to be okay when once he did that. Yeah, like, so- the result of it play had to be okay. <laughs>
1: So the goal finally comes in the, uh, the. So a ball gets cleared from a set piece. I don't know if it was a long throw or I don't remember exactly what it was, but just as the clock ticks past 90 minutes, uh, the ball gets cleared all the way back to Stuver. Valencia gets it off of Stuver, carries it upfield, plays a big ni- diagonal to Lundquist on the left hand side. The pass is a bit behind him, and then his touch kind of brings him back away from goal and Richie Larea comes in really aggressively and Lunquist feels the pressure and turns on him and is able to step up into space and because we still had all those numbers up from uh from the set piece he decides to go ahead and just take a cross from there and so um the first ball is headed straight up in the air by a defender and then watching this one back number 19 i think is a 20 year old guy was maybe their like left wing back or somewhere on that left hand side but The ball goes up in the air. Nick Lima is getting into position to get under that ball and number 19 just steps away from him and just like walks two or three yards, the other direction. I do not know what this guy was doing. I think maybe he thought Johnson was going to come out and challenge for it. And he was going to give him space to do that, but he ends up not challenging Nick Lima and I think Nick Lima expecting contact ends up turning around And like getting ready to, to brace some contact, which is why he's facing away from goal when the ball comes to him and he does like the no look backwards header that ends up hitting off of the bar, falls onto Zardes's head. And then Zardes does really well to place it just out of the reach of a defender waiting on the line there.
0: Yeah. And then can you explain what Hugo Cascante is doing this whole time? I mean, he's laying on the ground.
1: Yeah, this is, We're this is an important it. part, which I think it plays a role in this. So the first ball that Lunkus plays in Cascante comes diving in for like right through the middle of the six yard box. And that defender gets his head on and, and pops it up. Julio falls on the ground after diving and then just stays still, just freezes, which you could say like, maybe he's going to get in the way, but it ends up being like pretty key to this. Like, a, I, so number 19, I said was walking away from the play. I think he expected Johnson to come out, but Johnson could not come out because Julio Cascante was laying in between him and where the ball was going to fall. <laughs> and so I think that affects part of it, but also like had, I don't, I didn't watch back to see if he was on side or offside, but I don't, I think he would have been on side anyway, but you could see a situation where like, if he were offside at any point and gets up and is seen to have interfered with Sean Johnson at, at any all, point right? at time. Yeah that maybe they call that back. And so the fact that he just lays there, he is an impediment to what the defenders are trying to do, uh, is not moving so he can't be considered interfering, and then ends up like kind of secondhand playing a part in this goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And then, and then he pops right up right after the goal comes. There's this great <laughs> picture that somebody took of, like all the Aussie guys celebrating and all the uh, Toronto guys all pointing <laughs> All at each yelling other. at each other. <laughs> all yelling at each other with just the biggest grin on Julio's face uh for 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 what what came to pass there. So yeah, it was a deserves finished. Um maybe not the most exciting match, but the results are all that really matters. So Austin ends up picking up a so it's a six point week. Uh Austin goes from twelfth to ninth in the Western Conference. And, you know, not far off, I believe like six, seven, eight are all bunched within maybe a point or two points ahead of where Austin is. So um in decent shape now. It doesn't take doesn't take long to turn it around. Josh Wolf talked after the game a little bit about um momentum and sort of feeling that that coming and uh one other thing on momentum i thought was interesting uh that i noticed is like this is another one i don't remember when this happened last year but it's kind of another one i feel like the crowd willed that goal to happen right like there was just it's like this energy that just kept building up and building up and yeah. building up towards like they were like willing the team to score uh and it it did come to pass yeah and so there was this, i was gonna say this is really super sweet video of like all the players sitting on the field and like Doing, doing. I love you, baby. Right uh, yeah. after the game with the fans, which was a great relief. Yeah,
1: that was nice. You could tell they were enjoying that one. Um, so let's talk about some of the rotations here. I think this is worth mentioning too. So we saw uh, Rodney Redes, Maxi Ruti, and Ethan Finley start up front. Then Nick Lima started as the right wing back. John Gallagher on the left wing back, and they rest. Um, and Lundquist. they rest. Lunquist to as a starter nick lima had a really good game uh, uh, that goal aside i thought just like as that wing back role it's a spot where with with the wingers playing so high it's a, another thing talking about finley in that inside role lima playing this high flying wing back thing i was not
0: super stoked about uh he he had a great game yeah he did if 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 you can trust plot mob as a source this was this was his best game um, on the year they gave us seven point eight on that one, which was uh, the only other one that was close was the Vancouver match back in April. So yeah, he he looks strong. Um, uh, Sophie Jafal
1: gets the start in midfield alongside Danny Pereira, and then th- they pull Danny. I think partially because he's on a yellow card, uh, partially because he's not been subbed out of a game all season, I believe, and so you have to start resting him at some point. Put in Valencia and Valencia and Jafal finish out the game next to each other. I thought Jafal started off a little bit rough, um, made some not great decisions, some sloppy passes, but as the game went on, I feel like he grew into
0: it and, and had a pretty good game overall. Yeah, I did too. I mean, he's definitely, you can see the talent that's, that's there um, and the potential, and it's just going to be a matter of minutes, which I think we'll probably talk about here in a little bit. It's just like the, uh, I think even last week, we we talked about the potential for depth, which seemed kind of dumb with the team on the streak that they were on, but you could you could see that uh, for sure now, where there's just not, there's probably more talent than menace to go around, but there's also a bunch of two game weeks.
1: Yeah, in current form, current player form, uh, we've got Johan Valencia on a string of really solid performances. Jeffal has a, a pretty good game here. Danny Pereira is probably the most consistent player on the team at this point in time. Uh, Owen Wolf is gone and will be returning at some point. So midfield feels really deep right now on the wing backs. You have John Galher and Lundquist playing well, Lima also coming in and playing well, so having those three guys being able to kind of rotate between the two spots feels good. And then Radovanovic I thought played pretty well against Seattle and then played, uh, well in his, his appearances in the other games so far. And so, yeah, just like looking across the team and talking about the wingers, like the, the attacking players as well a lot of options here and this this brings up one question that i think a lot of people have been asking lately which is where do you fit drew into this team like where's the best place to put him in to where you're maximizing the personnel on the field
0: uh without having to take someone else off who's also performing really well do you have an answer to that man i guess it's it's hard to find yeah to find an opening especially if I mean, with how successful this current formation has been, you know, if you, it would be easy to find a spot when last year's formation, but this five at the back with a wing back with the wing backs makes it really hard to find an open spot. Um, other than you've always got the classic false nine, which is the least productive position that Austin <laughs> has on the field so far, even though Zard has scored two goals in two games. Um, yeah. Or you put him in the put him back in the midfield and sit several talented midfield players. Yeah.
1: So before saying exactly where I think you should go, I would like to uh, make an announcement of my campaign. I'm officially launching a campaign tonight against using the word wing or winger when talking about the current setup in this Austin FC team. We do not have wingers anymore. (laughs) The way that we've been playing is defending. It is a back five. And so you've got those five at the back and the wing backs are are going all the way back and defending deep. Whenever they go forward, they are now the wing players. Like it is, I know we talk about Rigoni and Redes and Finley. Like I think in our minds, those guys are wingers. And so the position they're playing now is, is on the quote unquote wing, but they are not playing as wingers anymore. They're playing as attacking midfielders. And so I think like formations and positions are, are concepts and they're, useful as shorthand to kind of talk about certain things, but they're only useful in so much as they help you understand something better. And I think in this in this moment in Austin FC's uh tactics, it is no longer useful to call them wingers. So I would like to say like going forward, I'm gonna talk about center backs. We have three of those. We have wing backs. We have two defensive mids or two sixes, which has generally been like Danny Pereira, Johan Valencia, Sophia Fall. We have two tins, two attacking midfielders, which has been Ragoni, Finley, Rodney, Redes, and then this is where I think Drusi should step in. And then we've got a striker, which has been Maxi Ruti, uh, Jossi Zardes, Will Bruin. Uh, I, I've said some people asked me and seen online like saying like I want to slot Drusi into like the role that Ragoni's playing, the role that Rodney's playing, one of those spots. And I've the response a few times has been like, oh, I don't want to play Drusi on the wing, and I was like. Wait, he's it, there's not like watch where these guys are standing. Watch if you go on like Fought mob, SOFA score, any of these things where like their average position are they're playing internally as attacking midfielders. And so it is, it is the same position, the same spot on the field where he scored however many goals last season. And so I think it is the best spot for him. I think the dilemma is when you have Drewsi, uh, Fagundes Finley, Redes, all healthy. Like, how do you get your best 11 on
0: the field? Yeah, that's going to be... That will be... What a good uh, challenge to have. But you... I mean, Trucy's part of that 11, without a doubt, right? Like, he's not the guy that you're looking for minutes for.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think in, like, over the the long arc of the season, this usually takes care of itself, right? Like, guys get hurt. Guys need to be rotated. uh, Guys are out of form and aren't playing well. So, I think... As Juicy works way, his way back into fitness, he'll probably be a sub. He's not going to start his first game back. And so he'll be the guy that sits out. Um, after that, as he's work, working his way back into starting fitness, okay, you look at uh, the other three or four guys. Who's in the best form? All right, they start. Um, okay, we have a midweek game. Who's played the most minutes lately? Sit them. The other guy starts. I think it's this becomes a good problem to have in like, an asset if if it all lays out that that way when guys keep playing well you have a lot of options like this is how lafc is able to rotate an entire squad and not even think about it and so i know we're not on that level but it, it's a good problem to have
0: yeah and a lot of those guys are they're not playing 90 minutes game in and game out right even because if they're they're deep enough where you get 65 or 70 and, and then you rotate the next guy gets it i thought it's interesting i noticed there, during the midweek that. uh what Josh Wolf stopped calling him two week games. He, what is it? So calling him two, two game weeks. They're just weeks. They're just weeks. Yeah. <laughs> they're just weeks. Cause there's so many of them. So many Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Saturdays now, but yeah, what a, what a, what a good set of issues to have. Um, you mentioned Valencia. I've been super pleasantly surprised by him. I'd imagine a lot of people have been, but you know, notably he's started progressing the ball a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's not like he's, he does it at the right time in the right place. Um, so he's he's been a lot better over the last few weeks so again that's another spot where you're super deep and um you just got you've got a lot of players and a lot of a lot of players who deserve some playing time
1: yeah going back to like my excitement for fitting juicy back into this spot like the things that austin fc is doing really well in the attack right now is the finding those long diagonals to a wing back on the far side Center backs finding those attacking mids uh, like in the inside channel, breaking a line and finding them upfield. That's been Ragoni, Redes Finley receiving that ball kind of on the half turn, turning and driving. Like we've looked good in that. Imagine like everyone else playing that well, those little mechanisms, those patterns working really well, but it's juicy on the other end of it and him turning, starting an attack and then crashing the box or him being the one arriving late on the box in the backside. Like that's a great thing to have. And so I've, I've heard some people say like, we need to change the formation so we can get, um, we can get Drew, ragoni and Fagundes on the field at the same time. And I would be very hesitant to shake anything up too much right now, as far as like the structure of the attack, because I feel like it's really clicking. I know we didn't score, uh, enough goals against Toronto, but I think things are clicking right now. I think we just plug and play with these same positions, these same structures until it breaks, because it looks really good to me right now.
0: Yeah, so do you, what do you think we'll see on, I guess, this, you'll get into this in the game for you, like what do you think the lineup looks like on Wednesday?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Honestly, I think, I think you put out, I think it's less about, in my mind anyway, it's less about like form, like factoring that in some, but mostly like who needs rest, Who can go the most minutes in this spot and like strategizing it as far as, uh, rest and legs go, as opposed to who's going to like, like prioritizing the Houston game or the Chicago game. I think you just say, okay, these guys have played a lot. Maybe we rest them because there's, like we said, there's so many guys playing well that I don't know that I have a preferred 11 right now. It's like, who can play the longest? Okay. You start. And then they come on, uh, the other guy who has been playing a lot and maybe can't play 70, 80 minutes only has 30 minutes in his legs comes on as a sub. And then that guy starts on the weekend. That's the kind of the way I'm looking at it. And I wouldn't be, that's, I, I would imagine that's how Wolf is thinking about it too, but I could be wrong.
0: One other thing before we get out of this week. So Danny managed to pick up yellow card in both of these matches, which is yeah, at four
1: for descent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Danny, again, knocking on the door of yellow card suspension, which is, is another reason why it's good that there's lots of people playing good minutes. Cause I feel like the fifth is coming at some point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not happy he's getting these cards because of the way he's gotten them it, before it would be like reckless fouls. That's how he got most of them last year. I feel like his defensive game has improved so much that he's not putting himself in that situation anymore, but he's also like stepped up as a leader a little bit. I think he feels the responsibility to, to be that leader on the field, which maybe leads to him yelling at the ref a little more than he should. All right, anything else before we move on, Jeremiah? No, I think it's ready. Time to move on. All right, we will take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Eric Krakauer to preview the U.S. Open Cup match against Chicago, and then the MLS match against the Houston Dynamo.
0: Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Covert Ford. The Covert's have been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service, financial expertise, and support after the sale. In addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community and an official automotive partner of Austin FC. Right now, Covert Ford has a hot deal a 2023 Ford Broncos. Stock number PLB27534 is available for a sale price of $36,408 plus tax, title, and license. Tax, textile and license down payment plus first payment of $3,238.83. This Bronco could be yours for just $478 a month over 36 months. Ooh, I really like
1: the look of those Broncos. Uh, if you are in the market for that particular Bronco or any other new or
0: used vehicle, be sure to check out covertford.com. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. Thanks to Sage Wilson Realty, we'll be giving away two tickets to an upcoming match. So fill out the form in the show notes to enter for your chance to win. Again, this is made
1: possible by Sage Wilson Realty. If you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. Be sure to check them out online at sagewilson.com. All right, we are thrilled to be joined by Eric Krakauer. Eric, how's it going?
2: Good. Uh, happy to be on. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you were the play-by-play commentator for Charlotte last year. Joined the Apple TV crew this year. Uh, how's how's it been going? How's it different from just calling one team every week?
2: Uh, well, number one, it's been terrific. Uh, I actually just posted something on Twitter the other day saying it's a dream. It really is a dream. Yeah, you know, when you get to travel the country, visit different stadiums, and call soccer games for a living. There's not much to complain about, maybe some turbulence in some of the flights that we've had. <laughs> other than that, it's been smooth sailing. Um, just a great opportunity to be involved with this project which I think is great for the league. Um, and you know in a way you get to know the league a little bit better because not only are you calling the games but you're getting to meet fans from uh, different teams you get to meet the the people who work. Uh, in the clubs, you know, people that you don't often hear about—communications people, um, content people—so uh, it's it's a great it's a great opportunity to get to know the league and the people who drive it forward.
1: Yeah, so we have you're going to be on the call on Saturday for Austin's game against Houston Dynamo, uh, but we did this to Mo Edu last week and kind of snuck up our midweek game on him too, and and made him (laughs) kind of preview that one blind with us. So you're kind enough to say that you'd be willing to do the open cup game against Chicago. So this is the round of 16. It's 8 PM Wednesday night in Austin. Uh, The winner of this game will play the winner of Houston Dynamo versus Minnesota. And so Chicago beat uh, Chicago house AC, is that what the first team was? And then (laughs) St. Louis city in uh, the next round to make it to this round. Um, So doing okay in the cup, but they're currently sitting second to last in the East, they fired their manager a few weeks ago, uh, brought in Frank Klopas, a guy deep ties with the club and had a a brief new manager bounce, which led to them beating St. Louis city twice, once in the league, once in the cup. But then they had uh, a loss, I think, right after that, and then uh, the most recent was a w- wild, multi-red card, three-three draw against Atlanta. Um, what I just like broad strokes, like what do you think is going right and wrong at at Chicago right now?
2: Well, I think I should start by saying that I was surprised that Ezra Hendrickson was let go of so soon. Yeah, um, if you look at some of Chicago's results this season they were edged out by their opponents and a lot uh, of those results um went askew in the last few minutes of the game uh you take either ties or losses you add a point or, or or three um and they would have been top side of the table so it just shows you how quickly a campaign can change in this league because of parity so I thought he was hard done a little bit we saw the The manager uh, bump or bounce with Klopas coming in, obviously a guy who knows the club inside and out. I think that since he's arrived, we've seen a better version of Shakiri, which is clearly important considering that he's the best paid designated player in the league. Um, And I would add that, you know, if you look at that roster top to bottom, I think they have a competitive squad. You know, I love Gutierrez, I think he's a really uh, interesting talent, a kid who plays with a lot of confidence, um, and pulls off something special in various games. So I believe they're a team that should be doing better than their standings show.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned Gutierrez, he and Chris Brady are two 19 year old academy products who are starting most games for them, Brady, every game. And Gutierrez has pretty much solidified himself as a, as a every game starter at this point, those guys, not place for place but replace two young guys that left this last year gaga slonina and uh john duran and so like you see these young guys coming in and also just kind of some holes in other spots of of the of the roster it i agree that like maybe hendrickson was a little bit hard done by with with kind of what he was given and also if you're going to hire a guy that's inexperienced as a head coach you should be willing to give him a longer leash than that but um going forward like you you mentioned Shakiri with uh Brian Gutierrez and him playing next to each other it, early on in the season they weren't playing at the same time now next to each other it seems to be helping out both of them do you think Shakiri has has started to like be pulling his weight this season
2: Well look I think it's too early to tell he's had a few good games slow start to the season um you know he's an interesting player i used to cover him at lyon uh he was there for about half a season before he was plucked from there uh by the chicago fire and he's just and it's an entire career having watched him play his entire career number one i think he's always played better for switzerland than he played for his clubs Bayern munich the same Inter Milan he was there for for a short stint. So he's played for a lot of at a lot of big clubs, Liverpool included, and he's played more of a squad player role than anything else. Star right. player for Switzerland, squad player for for the club teams that he's played for, and all of a sudden he's brought into the Chicago Fire. Huge transfer fee. If I remember correctly, Chicago actually paid more for him than Lyon did when they took him away oh, from wow. from Liverpool. <laughs> and he wasn't playing well. So it was a huge gamble in my opinion that the club took for him to come in and be the guy when he hasn't really been the guy at club level. And we're seeing that. He's playing well in flashes and they absolutely need a little bit more consistency from him if they're going to compete for a playoff spot. And I'm not so sure based on his track record whether that's that sort of consistency is something that he is able um, to, 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 to find.
1: So they, uh, like I said before, they're currently sitting 14th in the West. They have 18 goals for, which I think puts them about middle of the pack for the Eastern conference, but then 21 goals against, which is uh, one of the higher totals. And so there's going to be opportunities for, for Austin to get, chances against this team. It's, it's a team that will give up a goal. And so I think that's the thing that Austin needs to do in this game is, um, the last few games, Austin has been getting chances and, uh, keeping sustained possession and, and kind of creating goal, goal scoring opportunities in different ways. And so I I think they'll have a decent opportunity to win this matchup here midweek. Um, but it's the cup. And so the like form kind of goes out the, out the window and teams start at this level of it, start to kind of focus a bit more
2: on it. Well, I think Austin should be looking forward to this game exactly because of those statistics that you mentioned. The, you know, they're not scoring freely this season. Uh, what is it? 11 goals or maybe a, a few more than that so far this season uh, for Austin in league play?
1: Oh, uh, I can't remember right now.
2: 13, 14 at most. Um, the good news is Zardes all of a sudden found a scoring touch. You know, game winning goals in back to back games. Let's see if that you know, translates into cup play. And then against Houston, uh, is back from injury. You know, injuries have been, have been a real factor for Austin this season. So I actually think that they have a very good chance of coming away with a result against Chicago.
1: Uh, you mentioned Houston. Let's move on to that game. So, the Dynamo actually sit 10th in the West, just behind Austin. They had a really hot little stretch there for a while and were looking really good. And in the last four games in the league have been a draw, two losses, and another draw. Uh, they had, I know they had some red cards that that led to maybe some of that form. Um, but in general, like, what do you think is working and not working for this Dynamo team?
2: I think Ben Olsen has um, essentially brought a lot of structure to the team this season. Uh, defensively in particular, Um, you know, they've not conceded, I think they've conceded just one goal at home this season, which is. uh, And that was with,
1: I think, nine men on the field at the time.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, You know, I called one of their games. It was a win against Inter Miami and I was really impressed with the diligence in their defending, but also in the way that they did create scoring opportunities that they simply couldn't put away. Daniel Steris scored the winner in that game. He's a center back playing as a right back this season. And I got a chance to speak to to Ben Olsen a few weeks ago, and he really emphasized how important bringing defensive structure was to that team. And he was essentially hoping that things in the attacking third would improve. You mentioned four games without a win. I think the most important results out of those four are a draw and a loss at home when they'd won every single game at home up to that point. Uh, So the big question against Austin is whether they're able to find that defensive solidity and some firepower in the attacking third to get the job done.
1: Yeah, so head-to-head all-time between these two teams is Austin with four wins, Houston with two wins, and there's been no draws in this in this matchup, uh, generally there's been goals in it as well. So with the dynamo, not giving up many goals, that's going to be something for, for Austin to to maybe be a bit concerned about is making sure that they score when they go there. I think, like I said before, this does catch Austin at a good time. uh, The last time they played, I think it was the first game in an eight game, winless streak in the league for Austin. Uh, it was not a good time for them. They're, playing much more confidently playing much better at this point in the season. And so I think it does catch them at a good time. Um, hopefully with Houston on a, on a downward turn, Austin on an upward turn. And this is when these games start to count, right? The Copa Tejas, there's not equal number of games. And so the first game didn't technically count towards the Copa Tejas standings. This one counts, all of them count from this point forward. And so the stakes will be a little bit higher. Uh, and yeah, Hopefully, Austin will come out kind of firing and be able to get something out of this
2: one. I'm just hoping for a fiery affair. I want this to feel like a derby, if you will, like a regional rivalry. Uh, so when this popped up in my schedule uh, about a month ago, I was very excited about it. I, I like uh, the stadium in Houston. Uh, I think that it, it's kind of like tight, and the, the 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 fans are on top of of the action. Which now that they're attracting more of them, given that they've had more positive results, uh, can become a little intimidating of a venue for 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 Austin. And we saw that in the in the first uh, game that they played against each other, the, the two nil game. The good news for Austin is, if you look at their results this season, home and away, there's not too much of a discrepancy, right? They're not a team that you know, like like last season, was doing really well at home and at, away from home. Was sort of well. They were actually pretty good away from home compared to the rest of the West. Yeah, uh, and given and given the way how, uh, given the way traveling in MLS tends to be very very difficult. Uh, so th- th- there's uh, just a lot of ingredients which uh, makes this one of those games where you really can't uh, anticipate what the result is going to be.
1: Yeah, I think the last. I don't know if this last time Austin went to Houston, but the last game I went to there for Austin, it was like a mid day, like, I don't know, a 2 PM kickoff or something. And it was in the high eighties. And Brugal. so not a huge crowd there, maybe with this, this later kickoff. And like you said, they have been drawing better crowds this year. Um, hopefully that, that atmosphere will be good as far as like the rivalry atmosphere, I know before. Austin actually started playing. There's a lot of people in Houston and Dallas saying like, "Oh no, Austin will never be our rival. Like, Houston's our rival or Dallas is our rival." That went out the door pretty quickly, and so these games have been spicy. The teams want to beat each other, and the fans want to beat each other, and so uh, I I think it should end up being um, an entertaining match in in one form or another.
2: Well, I think the the recipe changes after Austin finished second in the West and go into the playoffs because. Houston haven't been in the playoffs for a while. Dallas haven't done anything significantly since significant since 2016. And now the new team on the block, the one that got its butt kicked in the first season, transforms itself and becomes, well, became essentially for for, for a lot of people, a dark horse uh in the you know, MLS uh cup um uh, odds, I guess you could put it. Put it that way, so that changes the way a rival perceives you, right? They're not the whipping boys anymore. In fact, they're garnering all the attention, and we're not. I think Houston was last last season, or second to last in in the West. Dallas did have a good campaign, did go into the playoffs, but maybe they expected to get more out of them. So, so I think the the recipe is there for for this to become a very fiery three way rivalry as you know as the years progress.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Before we wrap up, is there any, have you been to Austin? Have you called a game in the stadium at all? I haven't.
2: I haven't been there, you know, uh, so we'll see if I get a game in Austin anytime soon.
1: Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. Um, Do you have any questions about the team, about like Austin fans? I know you you mostly... Called Eastern Conference games last year, so I know a lot of you guys are getting to know the Western Conference this year too.
2: Yeah, but there are there are a lot of players that I know very well. You know, I called a lot of Rodney Redis's games at Guarani in in, in okay. Paraguay. You know, I know Rigoni well from his time at Elche, and I actually um, said publicly. Uh, what, two years ago, that Rigoni would be a really good signing for an MLS team, and I've had egg on my face <laughs> for a long time. He's actually been a bit of a, a target for a lot of the MLS talking heads, but we are slowly starting to see the exciting player that a lot of people believe that he is and could be in this league. So I'm 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 looking forward to seeing those two guys click. On, you know, or fire on all cylinders because they have a lot to offer and they're so different from each other. You know, if you play Rigoni on one side and Roderick Redes on the uh, on the other, Redes is much more direct, much more of a hardworking, hard-nosed winger, whereas Rigoni has really good feet, you know, silky touch, neither of whom is a scorer and I think that hurts Austin. But if if things start clicking, and then you get uh, Fagundes back and all of a sudden Zardes starts going, is scoring goals. If Driussi comes back, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Driussi has been out, what, four games now? Yeah, and the something results like that. Are, are taking a turn for the positive. Uh, I I would venture to guess that a lot of Austin supporters, given what they saw last season, are in the doldrums a little bit about how things have gone so far in 2023. But when you look at the team on paper, um, again, I said it about Houston. I'll say it about Austin. There's a lot of talent there, and if things all of a sudden start, the chemistry starts, uh, you know, appearing. The cohesion is is there. This is a team that can still make a lot of noise this season.
1: Yeah, Rigoni and Redes have both really turned a corner in the last handful of games, and it, uh, with Redes especially, man, like it's this is like Rigoni was still new relatively to this team redis has been here and all of a sudden he's he looks like a changed man i don't know what it is confidence the change in the role that he's playing but he really has turned it on you know Um, one
2: thing one thing that i'll say i don't know you know for time i don't know how much time you have but you're good uh, but you know you know i lloyd sam who's who's uh my co-commentator a guy um you know that i've been working with in, in charlotte and we're very lucky that MLS decided to keep us together. with the only the only partnership that remained intact. Everybody else was sort of split up. Um, I've learned a lot from him in terms of the, the a player's mentality, you know, and and the ups and downs. I mean, I knew about these things. Obviously, I've been around soccer my entire life. But when when you work with a guy who has played in the Premier League, but he's also played in USL. You know, he's also played in in, in uh, the championship in England, so essentially different divisions. Y- you get a different perspective about the highs and the lows that players go through and how adaptation sometimes takes takes time. You know, it's a completely different culture for a guy like Roderick Redis. I think somebody who lives on the East Coast and moves to Texas has to has to go through an adaptation period. Um, so hopefully we're going to start seeing this from, from Rodney consistently and the same, uh, for Rigoni. And, and, you know, you asked me five questions for you, how are you guys viewing the team defensively? You know, because it just seems that there's a lot of shuffling going on there. You got a player down with it, with a ACL rupture players playing on opposite flanks. How Are you feeling about how things are going in the, on the back of the team?
1: Uh, I, I think that is getting better as well. And uh, like Alex Ring has stepped in and done a great job as a stand-in center back. We now have Alexander Radovanovic, the new Serbian guy, is at starting fitness now. So we have him leo weissenden who's been really good this year and julio cascante is fit again and able to start games and so we're to a point now where we have four guys in this three-man center back crew that we can rotate in with these midweek games and i'm comfortable with any of these guys starting at this point yeah. uh, adam lundquist didn't wasn't even making match day rosters at the beginning of the season he's been one of the best players in the last two or three games for us and he'll on probably that start against his spot. former team yeah Yeah, he's been great. And Gallagher, I mean, Gallagher all the way through last season has been really good as two. So it's like a spot where historically we've been very thin at center back. And we're at a point now where we have four guys that I'm happy with any of them starting. And that's just, it's a new feeling here in Austin. You
2: know, I was very disappointed that it didn't work out for Romagna uh, in Austin. I know, man. Another guy I knew well, you know, he he played with at Guarani with with Rodney Redes. There actually had been a lot of interest from from Brazil before he he went to to Austin, um, and at at one point when Cascante goes down, you start to think that it was a bad idea to let this guy go, even though he didn't hit the ground running. But maybe he would have. Uh, it, but but you know, hopefully he's happy. He's happy with the move. So. Uh, all in all, I'm really looking forward uh, to this matchup.
1: All right. Well, as you mentioned before, you're going to be on the call with Lloyd Sam, uh, on MLS season pass on Apple TV. Eric, thanks so much for joining us, man.
2: Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Anytime.
1: We want to thank Eric cracked one more time for joining us. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, come find us online. I'm at ElviaHero87. Our Jeremiah is at J underscore ATX. That's on Twitter. And then we're also at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd also encourage you to sign up for the Patreon, where you can get uh, beautiful Moon Tower and Swoon Tower patches, as uh, or the uh, Moon Tower Soccer scarf, and all you'll, you'll also get. Uh, some kind of like insider information we'll ask for uh ask for feedback from fans announce some things a little earlier on the patreon as well so you'll get access to all that as well as the cool swag and then we will like to encourage you to visit the striker website where you can get a 30 percent
0: discount with the code moon tower 23 with a capital m jeremiah what should folks look out for well in addition to having the best austin fc coverage uh the striker covers lots of other clubs, particularly in California. And I found this article from Mike Gray about what an MLS team for San Diego means for soccer fans, including loyal fans, to be a really interesting read that I wouldn't have picked up anywhere else.
1: All right. That Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to look that one up. Uh Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh We will be back next week. I'm actually going to be taking the week off and Kevin Morris is going to be back in with Jeremiah. They will be uh reviewing the two matches this week and then previewing. Two matches again for the next week, and that's kind of the that's kind of the schedule. Like Josh Wolf said, it's not; these are just weeks now. Uh, but until then, I'm Landon Cotto.
0: I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for Ooh. nothing, see you never... La gente... Oh, my God.